We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, continuing formations of the secular, we are on page 82. All right, who wants to read? It is not that one's own pain can never be convincingly conveyed to others, but that one, when one feels the urgent need to communicate one's pain and the communication fails, then it may be then it may come to be thought of with added anguish as unshareable. In order to construct self narratives, notes Susan Bryson, discussing the victims of rape and torture, we need not only the words with which to tell our stories, but also an audience able and willing to hear us and to understand our words as we intend them. Okay, so this is an interesting point, right? Um, it's one thing to experience pain, but there's also a need to share the fact that you're experiencing pain. And so, so uh, this author makes this point that we need the words to be able to express our pain, but we also need an audience that's willing to, to hear it. Uh, otherwise, the pain becomes unshareable, and the pain becomes greater. Right, the pain of, of of suffering and isolation is greater than the pain of suffering with an audience. Yeah. Sort of spiritual side to point tangent uh, is this: Why, at the height of our sort of spirituality, we're told the best people are those who sort of speak to God about their pain. No. Um, I mean that works, but um, I don't know where. where you're well, like I'm saying, is that something like? Well, is that something that takes away the need to speak to people about it? Or? That's an interesting point. I mean, <clears throat> so uh, I do notice. I have noticed over the years that, like you know, whatever like pain that I was experiencing. Um, in fact, I had this discovery during Ramadan many years ago that you know I would speak to Allah about it um, and sort of like hand it off. Right, mm-hmm. and that decreased the pain. Wow. Now that's one point to think about. Now another point to think about is that the prophet, peace be upon him, still shared, uh-huh. right? Like he still shared the fact that um, you know he missed Khadija radiallahu anha. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, 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 you know he has tears um, when Ibrahim, his son, dies. Mm-hmm. Although at that time he wasn't talking, but then Saba asked him about it. Um, trying to think of other examples. I mean, he does mention when he's ill. Um, so it seems like he is sharing, mm. right? On the flip side, we could say, well, he's the model. And so he's giving us the model on how to, you know, experience pain. Mm. You know, but yeah. Okay. This aspect of remaking a self in the aftermath of trauma highlights the dependency of the self on others and ex- helps to explain why it is so difficult for survivors to recover when others are unwilling or unable to listen to what they endure. So it's not interesting that it's harder for survivors to recover if they don't have people who are, who are there to listen to what they've endured. That part of the process, uh, according to this, of healing is to be able to share the story of your, your, your pain or your suffering. And you can take this point a step further. When we get into conversations about privilege and power and everything, one of the nastiest techniques of power uh, against the dispossessed is to minimize the suffering of the dispossessed. Mm-hmm. Right? So whether it's you know, someone who is suffering uh, because of race or because of occupation or abuse, mm-hmm. uh, if you minimize 
they're suffering, you know, by saying, well, all kinds of other people go through this too. Mm. Then you are um, essentially, you know, causing further abuse. Mm. The ability to live sanely after a traumatic experience of pain is always dependent on the responses of others. Pain, one might venture, is neither a brute reality undermining thought nor an interpretation that is the occasion of ideological or scientific elaboration. It can be active. It can be an active, practical relationship inhabiting time. But surely, so it may be objected, this applies only to mental suffering and not to bodily pain. Okay, that's an interesting point. Uh, bodily pain may be different. Uh, like uh, if you broke your leg, okay, do you feel the? I mean, and you've gotten you know the cast and everything. Do you feel the need to tell people that you've broken your leg? I don't think no. so. But, uh, or even take it from another perspective. Suppose someone has physically abused you, okay? There's the mental pain and the physical pain. Mm. Physical pain, you may not feel the need to, to tell anybody. Mm -hmm. But the mental pain is the one that lasts longer. Mm. And that's the one that needs an audience. How clear is the distinction between physical pain and psychological or social suffering? All feelings of pain involve physical changes that are not only internal to the body, muscular, biochemical, but also externally visible, voice, demeanor, gait, and culturally readable. This fact alone complicates the too neat distinction between physical pain and mental pain. Mm. Distressing emotions, too, are connected to chemical disturbances in the body, and chemical imbalances, whether associated with trauma or malignant cell growth, are as physical as torn ligaments. So think about that. He's saying this, okay, so, so our outlook on the nature of the human being goes back to Descartes, where you are mind and body. And one of the questions is, where does mind end? Um, and so when we speak of mental pain, part of the reason that a lot of times, you know, they see an Arab parents say, okay, you know, you're just imagining it, or you just, um, you just need to pray, is because they have internalized this Cartesian outlook that your mind and body, and mind becomes almost like imaginary, you know, mm -hmm. it's your consciousness that has no feeling, okay? mm -hmm. but he's saying, okay, uh, if you go through mental pain, like, you know, depression, or, or just whatever trauma, it does cause, uh, uh, it, there is a, a chemical or a biochemical effect in your brain, which means it is physical, okay, it is physical, just like, you know, he says, a torn ligament is physical. Okay. Where you experience it is in, is in your mind or your consciousness, but it is a physical experience. Okay. And so that's one of the problems he's saying of this mind-body uh, separation, because if it's in the mind, you think that it, it isn't in the body. It may be that physical pain is typically located by the sufferer in particular parts of his or her body, and that this is what distinguishes it from mental distress. But mental states, themselves closely connected to social circumstances, are central in the experience of physical pain. Mm -hmm. Well, what does that mean? Uh, mental states, themselves closely connected to social circumstances, are central in the experience of physical pain. What does that mean? Because uh, how you experience pain is tied to how you can express it amongst other people. So I, uh, I'd modify your point a little bit. How you experience pain is very much tied in terms of how you think to experience pain, mm. right? So 
you know, they say a baby doesn't know what pain is. So when a baby experiences pain, uh, a baby doesn't know how to express it. The baby basically has one tool, which is to cry, right? But the fact that the baby is experiencing pain, the baby won't know. Like, won't be able to identify that this is pain. Yeah. And so take that to the point of an adult, um, you know, you, you are socially conditioned on how to interpret what happens inside of you. Yeah. Right. Mm. And, and so, you know, three separate people who are raised in three very different environments will then interpret their physical pain in three different ways. It has long been known that tolerance to physical pain is culturally variable. Yeah. I return to this in the next chapter. The latest research on the physiology of pain points to a more radical conclusion. Physical injury to a specific part of the body is not necessary to activate the body's pain system. The notorious phenomenon of phantom limb pain is not, it now seems, a curious anomaly. So you know what phantom limb pain is, right? You can probably figure it out from the title. It's like if you have, uh, if you've had an amputation and... You feel like you still like your arms been amputated, but you still feel like you have it, and you even feel like you're experiencing pain. Pain is not merely experienced in the mind, researchers say, but generated by it. Oh, what do you think about that point? Pain is generated by the mind, mm. right? Because pain is uh, the um, the brain's technique of essentially informing you that something's broken. What's crazy is that, like, if. Uh, <clears throat> Physiologically, that makes sense. Like if you break something or something sore or whatever, but uh, like emotional pain or like uh, mental pain, so to speak, like that to me is kind of wild. Like your brain's still telling you, you know, there's a part of you that's broken, but that mm -hmm. part seems much more like spiritual or harder to locate. Right. It's not. Yeah. It's not a physiological issue, mm -hmm. right? Like for example, like. If you're going through heartbreak, you feel you might feel a certain mm -hmm. physically you might feel sick, but you're not like that's not the core of the issue. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's yeah. weird. But. Yeah, and I think part of it is you can't localize where is this? Yeah, right. As opposed to someone punches you in the heart, you know that's uh, uh, that's different. But yeah, that's uh, part of the the fascinating aspect of of you know emotional or mental pain. The brain is the locus of complex interactions, including interactions between distressing memories, perceptions, and emotions, whose result is the experience and behavior of pain. The familiar distinction between physical pain as something that is typically experienced in a particular part of the body, and mental suffering as a physically unlocatable experience, is not so clear-cut if we recall that in many cultures, distressing emotions are experienced as being located in particular organs of the body liver, belly, heart, and so forth. Okay, so you're familiar with this, right? That in, in pre-modern cultures or, or cultures where we have, uh, um, um, you know, not our modern system of medicine, the question becomes, okay, how does the body operate? And so one is that each of these, these organs that you have is a source for your personality, source for your pain. And so for much of the history of 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 Muslims, um, there is special attention given to the liver, that uh, that the liver is somehow one of your centers, okay? or think of it in terms of of Chinese medicine, the chi, mm -hmm. you know this this space that's you know below your belly button, um, and so then defining how pain works, we would connect it to all those things. Okay? 
Even in modern society, people recognize that they can be sick with anger and flushed with embarrassment, and that these unpleasant experiences are at once physically located and socially anchored. If research now indicates that the brain is the source and not the terminus of pain sensations, the latter can be thought of as actions that are cited at once in cultural and neurophysiological contexts. So this is continuing the same point, right? That, number one, the brain is the source of pain, and, and how it operates is a combination of neurophysiology and culture, which I think is very fascinating. In an important sense, cultural and physical cease to be dichotomies, although for analytical purposes they can be distinguished. What a subject experiences as painful and how are not simply mediated culturally and physically, they are themselves modes of, a, li modes of living a relationship. The ability to live such relationships over time transforms pain from a passive experience into an active one, and thus defines one of the ways of living sanely in the world. It does not follow, of course, that one cannot or should not seek to reform the social relations one inhabits, still less that pain is intrinsically a valuable thing. My point is that one can live one's pain sanely or insanely, and although ideas about insanity change, that the and that the progressive model of agency diverts attention away from our trying to understand how this is done in different traditions, because of the assumption that the agent always seeks to overcome pain conceived as object and as state of passivity. The secular emphasis on the integral human body as the locus of moral sovereignty makes it difficult to grasp the idea of pain as an imagined relationship in which such internal states as memory and hope mediate Sociality. Okay, keep on. I do not claim that the pain felt by a physically injured person can be experienced in the same way by an observer. There is always an irreproducible irre excess in pain. I argue that that is not all pain is. Sufferers are also social persons, animals, and their suffering is partly constituted by the way they by the way they inhabit or are constrained to inhabit their relationship with others. Pain is not always an insufferable agony or a chronic condition. There are varieties of in incommensurable experiences that in commensurable experiences we collect together under the label pain or suffering as though it were, like agency, a single thing, an ultimate vindication of corporal reality. But as a social relationship, pain is more than an experience. It is part of what creates the conditions of action and experience, as I will now try to show in some examples of pain from religious, history, and ethnography. Okay, so again, very fascinating point. So the first part of this section, uh, when we were reading it, was saying that, all right, part of the experience of pain is, is the need to be able to share uh, and tell about your pain. Okay? And if you can't do that, that, enhances, that increases the pain. And then the other part is that, you know, how you understand, define, and experience pain um, is socially conditioned. It is culturally conditioned, right? And so on the one hand, you're taking in how you experience pain, you know, through the course of your life. And then on the other hand, when you're experiencing pain, you then have to share it. And think about what that does. That creates a cycle that uh, it reinforces this is how pain works in our culture, Right? And then as, you, as younger people are growing up, they're hearing the stories of pain, and then they're internalizing this too, you know, which I think is a very, very fascinating point. Okay, let's stop right here uh, at page 85, thinking about agent of pain in religious history and ethnography. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu illa ilaha illa anta.
استغفرك ونتوب اليك واخر دعوانا ان الحمد لله رب العالمين